free to grab a Bible from in front of you. Readings, plural, I should say. The first one is in Genesis, and Mike is going to read that for us. So the first uh, reading is uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 to 24, which you can find on page 7 of the Church Bibles. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namar. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 15 to 20, which you can find on page 985 of the Church Bibles. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Oh, do sit down. And if you grab hold um, of one of those Bibles again, turn back to page 985 as we come back into this little part of Matthew's gospel we've been looking at. And as you do that, let me tell you, I, a number of years ago, I had, a, I had an unfortunate run-in with one of these things, a measuring tape. Um, I had to get measured for some, some clothes. That doesn't happen very often, but in this case, uh, it did. And the assistant who was measuring me, I can only say in a manner you would describe as uncouth, began shouting to one of our colleagues, neck 15 and a half, chest 41, waist. At that point, I said, whoa, whoa, would you mind whispering, please? Um, there's some measurements you don't want to be like public, do you? you? You want to keep them slightly private. And the reason for saying that is, as we've gone through this 
bit of Matthew, we've been thinking about this idea of measuring greatness and listening to Jesus as he speaks about that. How do you measure greatness? And if you remember, if you were here a number of weeks back, it began when the disciples asked that question, who is the, the greatest in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Uh, they wanted to know how they measure up. Measuring tapes were out, if you like. And do you remember, if you've been with us, Jesus, as he's answered that question, as we've been going on over the past few weeks, he said there are a number of things. Jesus said, look, being great, it begins... It begins with humility. And he had this little incident where he brought a child in front of them and said, look, if you want to be great, you've got to humble yourself like a little child like this. And he began to say, look, being great begins with humility, welcoming Jesus. And one of the ways you'll see is if you're welcoming other little ones who believe in him. And if that was being great, well, then he said, look, being rubbish, if you want to know, in verse 6, we, we looked at this a number of weeks back, it, being rubbish would be to cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble. Make sure you don't do anything that causes them to sin. And then he nudged it on a little bit further, almost in answer to the question, well, what, what happens when they do sin? What kind of attitude should we have? And do you remember, we... We thought about that in verses 10 to 14. Jesus says, don't look down on them. If one of his little ones stumble in sin, make sure you don't despise them. Even if they're kind of repeat offenders, no, go after them. Draw them back. You do that, and that would be a great attitude. And now he's going to, in the passage we've just had read for us by Mike, he's going to push it on a little bit further, and he's going to, tell us about some great service that we could have going on amongst us. He's going to say what it looks like and why we might find it difficult. So, so two things we'll think about this morning. And the first is this. Look, great service, it's seen in forgiveness. You know we, we measure greatness in all sorts of different ways and, and our culture around us measures greatness. But we, we'll do it. Maybe Maybe your ideas of greatness are more domestic. And maybe you, you think if you can pay, bake the perfect sourdough bread, that would be great. Or Victoria Sponge, that's greatness. Uh, for others, it's academic. Uh, greatness is measured in grades. Or it might be you, you measure greatness with effortless popularity. You know the, the kind of people who... When they walk into a room, they, they turn heads everywhere. Everybody's looking on them. It might be because of how they dress. It might be because of how they look. Maybe there's just something about them. And while outwardly, you might kind of laugh at them, inwardly, you've got this sense of, that would be great, wouldn't it, to be like that? The, the greatness we often admire, it's that of the high-achieving individual, blazing the trail, winning the match, or just looking stunning. And yet Jesus says here, true greatness you really want to know about it. True greatness is not worked out individually, but in relationships, because you can't be humble without someone else. That's what he's saying. And in verse 15 of the reading that we've just had, he says something, I think, so unexpected that if we didn't pause to look at it, you could sail right past it. So if you have the Bible open in front of you, come and look at verse 15 again and just hear what Jesus says. Verse 15, 
If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And I think the sense is they've sinned against you in some way. Do you see the shock in that verse? Did you hear it? If you don't find yourself being shocked, you might want to look at it again. But let me tell you, Jesus says in God's kingdom, true greatness looks like people in need of forgiveness being served by those who need to forgive them. Do you hear that? In God's kingdom, true greatness looks like people in need of forgiveness being served by those who need to forgive them. Is that not outrageous? Do you hear the scandal in that? Let me tell you how, how my thinking works. Look, if I'm the sinned against, if I'm the innocent party, if I've been wronged, it's me who should be served, it's me who should be gone to, it's me who should be won over, it's me. But Jesus says... If someone in the church sins against us, we are to want to serve them like this. One little qualification maybe before we just press on with it. Like, I don't think we're to read this and think those who've suffered abuse or something like that are, are expected to put themselves in harm's way. That's not what this is talking about. And there'll be good reasons for not thinking it means that. But but here this is speaking into difficult situations that remain safe. And you also might respond, look, David, aren't there other parts of the Bible that say, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. Yeah, that's true. You can see that back in Matthew 5. Uh, there are responsibilities for, for sinners as well as sinned against. It's just that my temptation is always to play up other people's responsibilities and play down my own, especially when I feel the innocent party. Sin damages relationships. That's the understanding here. You know that. Uh, those of you who are part of our, our youth groups that go on here, if there's gossip going on in, in Grafted, that's bad. Or those of you maybe are, are teenagers being exasperated by your parents, that's not a thing that ever happens, is it? If your parents can exasperate you in some ways, it's not right. It's wrong. Or being shouted at by a sibling. See, if you're on the receiving end, you've been wronged. Harm has been done. It's just that Jesus says, when you're the aggrieved Christian in a sin-soured relationship, your first thought is not to be, how can I get my rights? But can I restore this relationship? And notice here, as you, you look at these verses, the way Jesus puts it, it's, it's forgiveness that avoids point scoring. When I've been wronged, I tend to want sympathy. I, I want my offender to feel some of the discomfort that I've felt. And, and I don't mind a bit of praise as well. You know, when somebody says, look, you're a better person than me, David. You're a much better person than me. I'd have been furious with them. I'll, I'll be honest, I love that. And it feels like legitimate compensation for what I've been through. It's just that Christian greatness doesn't want compensation. It wants reconciliation. 
And notice this reconciliation, it, it flows from the hard work of patient persuasion. Four times in these first few verses, you find the word listen, helping people hear properly. In verse 15, where it says, point out their fault, that's, that's, not, that's not condemning. It, it's help them see what's wrong. There are times, aren't there? You, you know this in, in families and in church family and anywhere. There's times when something's not quite right and you just, you take it on the chin, you move on, you think we're not going to make a fuss of this. We, we just cover over those kind of things. That, that's right. But Jesus says there can come a point when, look, we can't just do that. And what we need is forgiveness. And one of the ways we serve those who've really sinned is to patiently persuade them this is one of those times. This is one of those times when we need to talk about forgiveness. You understand, don't you, that every offer of forgiveness, it comes with an accusation of guilt. It's not, it's not we're saying it doesn't matter. We're saying, it, no, it, it really does matter. But we want there to be uh, forgiveness. Uh, and as you do it, from what Jesus says, you, you're not to embarrass there's no public point scoring. You see, verse 15, it's, it's just between the two of you, if you can. So let me give some examples of this. Your, your husband, your husband's been letting work habitually eat into time with you. That's not good. But you avoid your first response being a complaint to your friends over coffee. No public point scoring from this. Or your son's been rude to you in some way. Dad's, when you speak to him, it's not a telling off in front of his siblings. That's what this is getting at. It's just between the two of you, if you can. You hear about those things. How's that tape measure beginning to feel? It's a bit tight. Uh, there is, as Jesus talks about this, there, there's a widening of the, the people involved. Uh, but you, you understand he does that. You, you only do that when the situation becomes so complicated it can't be dealt with in this kind of way. And there's the desire is always for genuine forgiveness. In fact, it seems that that reality is the only limiting factor. Because if someone refuses needed forgiveness with something serious, we, we can't just pretend everything is okay. And Jesus says, there are times when you need to treat someone as you would, you see the words he uses, as you would a, a pagan or a tax collector, like there's someone on the outside. The, the point of that, I think, at least in part, is you need to treat them as if they're on the outside and needing forgiveness in order to be brought back in again. We can't pretend someone's really part of the church if they persistently refuse to live the way Jesus says. So what happens if, if there is someone who wants the privileges of being in the church family, but only on their own terms? And understand, we're, we're, we're not, talking about, not talking about someone who is, and this might be you, who's coming along and saying, I'm not a Christian yet, I'm just here to, to check things out. I, I want to ask some questions, I want to find out. That, that's a great thing to do. And it's not someone who says, I'm struggling, I keep stumbling in this kind of area, please will you help me? It's not talking about that, but no, someone who wants to be accepted, but only on their terms. It's hard, isn't it? 
Because they might be, they might be really good friends in all sorts of other ways, but as a mark of, of loving concern, the church needs to show them, look, you're, you're out of step with God. But that is a long way off in this passage. And Jesus wants to say, look, true greatness, it looks like people in need of forgiveness being served by those who need to forgive them. When you hear that, the, the question comes, are you serving like that? Is that one of the ways you serve others? You may not realize this. Uh, in lots of ways, we're, we're quite a big church, aren't we? Not huge, quite big. There's lots going on, but we're, we're struggling a, a little in some key areas, key areas of service. Our, our Sunday club, for example, could use some more leaders. There's, there's people there ha are having to do extra things. Even when it comes even to something like a welcome team, we're, we're at times finding it difficult to find people willing to, to serve with that. So let me encourage you, if you're not serving already, think about serving Maybe in one of those ways, come and speak to us. But even with that in mind, I, I suspect our service in those areas will be less great if we don't learn to serve in this way that Jesus is talking about here. Ah, that's the first thing, great service. It's seen in forgiveness. Why do we find it difficult? Why do we find forgiveness difficult? There might be all sorts of reasons that will be good to think about. But I'm going to just mention one that I think you find in this passage, and it's this. It might be a surprising one. It's going to come up on the screen. It's this. You, you cannot be generous with forgiveness. We'll always have problems. We'll find forgiveness difficult. One of the reasons we might find it difficult is if we think we're being generous. I don't know if you've ever heard of the school of Turin, it sounds like it might be some kind of art collective. It wasn't. They were a team of crack criminals, diamond thieves. Uh, the, the diamond center in Antwerp, apparently Antwerp is, I found this out online, most of the world's diamonds uh, come through uh, Antwerp and Belgium. But the diamond center in Adwer Antwerp has a huge vault. There's a little schematic of it. Um, it's one of those places that has 10 layers of security. It's like something from Ocean's Eleven or whatever that film was. You know, there's, there's pressure pads, heat sensors. Uh, a cage, a, a huge door, combination, all sorts of things. It was thought to be impenetrable. Uh, but in 2003, the school of Turin walked away with $100 million in uncut diamonds. <laughs> they got past it all. It's incredible. Now, just imagine, imagine, imagine how you'd feel if your valuables had been stored there. Uh, all £6.50 of it, whatever it was. Uh, maybe you've got something precious to you. It was there, and you find out it's all been taken. And you think, oh, I thought it was going to be safe. I thought it would be safe there. Now, imagine something more. Imagine not only hearing that your stuff go is gone, you, you also hear that the door had been left open. And you think, well, that's, that's not good. That, that seems... That seems a severe error in judgment there and in your, your practice. But then, look, push it on a bit further. Imagine something even more ridiculous than that. Imagine as you're talking and finding out about your stuff, you, you hear that the management had adopted a new policy for the vault, which was an open-door policy. They just decided from now on, every day, 24 hours a day, the vault is just left open and anyone can come in and go out of it. Do you think, this is madness? That is absolute madness. 
And I think those feelings will come close to the surface when you hear Jesus speak about forgiveness. Verse 21, you hear what happens. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Peter's asking the question, look, what do you do with a serial offender? What do you do with a person in the church family who, who keeps doing things that are hurtful and, and hard? How often do I have to forgive? There's a suggestion that the rabbis of Jesus' day said up to three times. So forgive them once, forgive them twice, third time, it's a severe look, and beyond that, you don't need to forgive them anymore. And so you understand what Peter's doing. Peter's saying, look, I'll double that, and I'll add one for good measure. I'll be really generous with my forgiveness. And you see what Jesus says. He says, not seven times, but 77 times. It's a funny number to use. You go, what, 70, 77 times? What, what's going on? You might remember it from our Old Testament reading. There's a nasty character called Lamech, and he, he killed a man and then promises revenge on anyone who attacks him 77 times over. It's a way of saying my vindictive vengeance will be unlimited. You know, maybe, maybe I don't know if there's a UK thing particularly, but in the playground when you're arguing with someone and you, you kind of want to get some backup, either your brother or your dad, my dad's bigger than your dad, and the response comes back, my dad's 10 times bigger than your dad, and you can't let that go, so you've got to say, my dad's a thousand times bigger than your dad. Response back, my dad's a million times bigger than your dad, uh, and then the final one that you've got to say is, well, my dad's bigger than your dad by infinity, and that's the end of it. It's, it's unlimited. That's what's being understood here by 77 times. Do you get that? And so you understand what Jesus is doing. He's flipping around what Lamech did. The, the way our hearts often go, do you get this? Somebody does something to you and you think, I want to get them back. And it's, it's often, isn't it, in our thinking, it's not even proportionate. You've done something to me, I'm going to do something worse back. I feel it. That's why we hold on to little grudges. But Jesus is flipping that round and he says, if you are a Christian, his church will have occasions for discipline, but it is intended to be unlimited in a different direction. We're going to have Anna's baptism after this service. In a sense, that's, that's kind of the, the visible sign of coming into God's family. What kind of family is she coming into? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a family where there will be, like any family, occasions for discipline, but she's coming into a family where it's intended to be unlimited in the way forgiveness will flow and overflow. Being in God's kingdom, there are no rights to withhold forgiveness. And so generosity would be a wrong way to think about it because it suggests there is an agreed limit above which you've moved into, I've just done more than it is asked of me, and I'm now into me just being generous. But there is no limit. It's an open-door policy. Jesus is demanding a hard thing, isn't he? You think about the people in this room, you can kind of have a, a sneaky look at them out of the corner of your eye or across the other side. You'll know many of them, but at some point in the future, the likelihood is one of them will sin against you. And if it's not one of those little things that we take on the chin and just move on, you will feel angry, 
hurts and not unjustly. And Jesus says, if they come and ask for forgiveness, you are to give it. And get this, if they don't, you are to go to them. (coughs) Excuse me. You're to go to them, not to have a go, not to feel vindicated, but to kindly offer forgiveness. How's that tape measure feel? Excuse me. I don't know how you feel about that, but there are times when I hear things like this, well, I know about myself, I want to keep my anger. That's why we hold little grudges, isn't it? Forgiveness like this, if, I, if I'm just going to start forgiving like this, if, in some ways it, it begins to feel like you'll die inside, won't you? Forgiveness like this will kill me. If I've just got to say I, I can't in some way make them feel it, I'm just losing out in all sorts of ways. It's not fair. Why should, I, why should I go as a servant? I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Why should I go as a servant to them? I just can't do that. And so you remember now Jesus' words back in verse 3. Do you remember them we read a number of weeks ago? As Jesus began to talk about greatness, and he said to his disciples, unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, become really humble, you will never get in on this. You won't get in on this. (coughs) And you realize what Jesus is doing. He is humbling us to the point where you say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. This is a hard thing. It's beyond me. I need your help. Have you discovered the the way the good news of Jesus often works? If you've been a Christian for any time, it, (coughs) it doesn't just give a kind of superficial joy that that makes you feel better about yourself as if all the Christian message was was really was just a kind of pep talk to say go out into the week you're brilliant really and often it works the other way It, it often brings us sorrow about our sin and our mess and then leads us to the Lord Jesus humbly and we find real joy in him this chapter began with a question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I think when we get to this point, we're we're now in a position to answer that question. So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, it must be from what we've heard. It, It must be the one who's been the most sinned against by his brothers and sisters, and yet in humility comes to them without wanting to embarrass to try and persuade them to accept the forgiveness that he's offering. And you think, that kind of forgiveness, that will kill you. (coughs) And it really did. And because you know who that sounds like, that's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Forgiveness won't kill you because it's already killed him. And before Jesus asks you to serve anyone else like this, he's already served you this way. We've thought about these things over the past week. Jesus is the one, if you come to him humbly, like a little one, he will always welcome you. And if you come to him, he will never do anything. He will never do anything that would cause you to stumble. Yet when you do stumble, 
when you do stumble, he will always go after you, wanting to bring you back because he loves you. And as he does that, he'll come to you, as he's doing again, I guess, even this morning in the words of Matthew 18, he's coming to you and humbly wanting to persuade you, accept my forgiveness, embrace true greatness. He treats you like this even today. He has come to you. He is greatness in person. And let me say, if you're, if you're new to Christian things, maybe you are someone who's just coming along and finding out, and you want to know, how, how can we live in a world with so much, so much wrong that goes on, so much hurts that you're feeling? The Lord Jesus is the one who's got the answers to those questions. Maybe you've come this morning, you're wanting to find out about Christian things because you carry all sorts of guilt about things you've done. This Lord Jesus is the one in whom you can find forgiveness and also the one that can start to show you how to relate to others who've hurt you. Uh, Niv mentioned Hope Explorer. Do, do come along to that if you've got time or just start coming along on Sundays. But this is what Jesus is saying. to look, come and find greatness. Turn away from unforgiveness. And as for tape measures, I think Jesus would say to you, look, you don't need a tape measure. You don't need to measure yourself when you know Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And you can stop measuring others that way when you start to forgive like him. How do we respond? It's a wonderful thing. And this good news about Jesus. But can I mention a couple of things? The first one is, I realize in the details of it, relationships can become really complicated. And you might think, I wouldn't even know, I want to do this, but I wouldn't even know how to work it out. Maybe there's friends from church you can talk to about that. Please do and say, would you pray with me about it? Or if you'd like to talk to me or Niv or someone else on the staff team, please, we'd love to help serve you in that way. But beyond that, here's, here's two things to go away with, to pray about before the Lord, honestly, and to ask yourself, Peter, if you pop those up, is there anyone I need to forgive? And is there forgiveness I need to ask for from someone? Uh, they'd be good things, even if they're hard things, uh, as we respond to the Lord. Let me lead us in a short prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, you've come to us in this chapter. You come to us by your Spirit, and... It's a wonderful thing. It's, it is really challenging when we hear it. But we listen to these words, and you're the embodiment of this. Uh, you don't come to embarrass us. There's no public point scoring. You're not calling us out in front of others. But you want to hear. You want us to hear the gospel challenge, both to receive your forgiveness and to forgive others, because you want us to find the life that really is life. Please help us individually, but help us as well as a church family to grow in this kind of greatness. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.